I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep both of these stands. <laughs> oh no, I do want the stand. Thank you. I thought you meant these music stands. Okay, good morning, everybody. Is this on? Is it working? Yes. And uh, good morning and happy Sabbath. Yes, I, I want to thank Trina for that introduction. Um, I don't know if she remembers, but she was my youngest daughter's PE teacher. That's how I first, and I was not in education yet, um, but, you know, and I would see her as my, my baby's teacher. She was working at the academy there as uh, the elementary school teacher back then. I do thank the pastoral staff also for entrusting me, for inviting me. Um, you know, Pastor Kayla has started this series on Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And so she wanted testimonies that kind of tie in with the power of witnessing and the need of witnessing. And so when she called me, you know, when you get to be my age, you have a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of ways that, you know, you've seen. And I even at your young age, I see, you know, younger kids here. You've already have stories. You just haven't recognized it yet, maybe. But when you come, you know, as you keep living and growing, you start seeing that God works in so amazing ways. And the stories just keep adding up. So when Kayla called me, um, I was thinking, which one should I share? There's so many. Which one can impact the church with this theme of witnessing? So I decided to um, share with you a story that um, most of you already know, but from my perspective, and that's my cancer story. And um, this is a little moment of disclaimer here because I see my sister and my brother. I thank you, my sister-in-law. You know, if we are involved in a car accident or something and we come out telling our story, we may all tell it a little bit different. And so this is a disclaimer that this is how I viewed my story. I'm sure if you, you know, if we had a chance to compare, everybody has a little different or, no, that's not what they said. You know, but this is how I remember it. So it's a little disclaimer. I'm not trying to change the story. Um, in any way, this is exactly how I remember, and my husband too, <laughs> I might have changed something for him, I don't know, but, um, so as I begin, I would like to invite you to just bow your heads, I'm going to claim Psalms um, 14, verse 14 here, 1914, and may the words out of my mouth, dear Lord, be acceptable in your sight, my God and my creator, amen. Well, I'll take you down a little bit of my history here. I am number six of nine siblings, a great, big, beautiful Mexican family. And um, you're wondering which one I am there. I'm standing right behind my father, hiding behind him there. That's me in the middle. And I thank God because all nine of us, you know, we're still alive, all nine of us. And the bottom picture there was the recent one when Nick graduated from law school. So we had a little... Uh, dinner for him and all nine of us were together and you know I'm the one way on the side there with my hand this way um, 
Out of the nine, seven of us went to medical school and different specialties, different callings. Um, and then the only two that did not, they're still in the medical, in the health uh, ministry in one way. One is a respiratory therapist and the other one translates in Seattle for the trauma hospital. So we actually all, my father was an anesthesiologist and my mom was a res, uh, registered nurse. And so, you know, it's kind of like you grow and then we play around the waiting room and stuff. So you're, that's where you're headed, right? Um, so, and, uh, oh, that one came up twice, sorry. It, in uh, 2000, the year 2000, I came back to the San Diego area after a very nasty divorce. I came back to live in, in um, San Diego with my two little girls. Um, I, those of you that speak Spanish know this saying, we say you come with one hand in front and one behind, which means you have nothing. You're just covering your nakedness, your emptiness. And I would, like, I would always say I came back with one daughter in front and one behind. Absolutely nothing. I came home, though. And I did come home through the begging and insisting of my sister Dina here. She said, what are you doing alone? Come on home. We need you here. And on. so I did come. And, and she's sitting right here in the blue in the third row. She and I have been kind of attached to the hip since we were very, very little. And um, she studied... Um, ear, nose, and throat. And so she prepared a, an office for me, and we got into practice together. So we did kind of like what the old uh, specialty used to be, eye, ear, nose, and throat. So we had it, you know, anything above the neck there. And we practiced. We were in practice. It was, you know, she had been there already for quite some years, and so I just joined in, and it was, and it was going well. It was starting to pick up. You know, God was sending uh, people and and then out of the blue, like God likes to do, right, I got a call from Mr. Longhofer, and he invited me to come and teach um, at San Diego Academy. They were looking for a science teacher, and he, he told me something that just kind of resonates to this day. He said, I've had my eye on you for a long time. And I thought, why? I don't, I, you know, I was just a mother taking my kids to the academy, picking them up, going to basketball games to cheer them on. But I didn't know he was keeping his eye on me. <laughs> so anyway, that's a different testimony. Uh, within two days, I was part of the staff there at the academy. And so I really felt the Lord calling and I closed my practice. I remember my siblings were not very happy. They were like, what are you thinking? All these years of, you know, college, you've got a bigger brain than that, and da-da-da-da, you know, and I was like, the Lord is calling. I have to go where the Lord is calling. So we were at the academy, and um, in 2004, I started there, and so the kids couldn't say my last name, so they used to call me Dr. U. It was just Dr. U, Dr. U, and then in 2006... I married Rod. There's all my siblings there and their kids. And, and so then I became Dr. M for Malore. That's where that came from. So the, the, the funny story there is the children, you know, I would, I would uh, take away points when they would do their oral presentations. 
if they started or interrupted their presentation with, uh, um, you know how kids like to do, um, um, uh, and so I'd be dinging points. And so then they made fun of me that I had now become the walking and talking Dr. Um, you know, Dr. U and Dr. M. Now I was Dr. Um, you know, so I was like, ah, yeah, karma. <laughs> That's karma. <laughs> so, well, to my story, I want, I want to tell three parts, you know, my, my testimony quickly um, as far as it relates to this sermon, this no, I didn't say sermon. I am not a preacher. <laughs> I just brought a testimony this morning. <laughs> I want to share with you why I quit sharing my story and how the Lord has called me back and helped me resolve that. So part one. Um, a year, right a year, we had just celebrated one year of our wedding anniversary. We had family coming over for Christmas. We were getting the house you know, tidied up and hanging extra lights and things. And I felt a terrible, the worst pain I have felt in my life on my left side. And, you know, I had both of my daughters naturally, so it wasn't like pain was new to me. This was something I could not. I, it just folded me over. I felt I couldn't even walk. And my husband right away said, we got to go to the hospital. I said, no, it'll pass. It'll pass. Oh. But when I was finally in tears, I couldn't take it, you know, and he's like, I'm taking you. So we ended going. It was like a few days before Christmas, and uh, the ER was empty. Actually, it was kind of like nobody wanted to be sick during Christmas time, I think. And so they took me in right away and did a bunch of stuff and ultrasound. And the technician, when, he, when we were going to leave from the ultrasound, he said... I could lose my job for this, but I want to tell you something. Find yourself a good oncologist. And I was like, what did he just say? That's not, you know, that's pretty strong to tell you right off like that. No other, you know, no other test or anything. He said, just in, try and enjoy Christmas. Enjoy the holidays. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, because it's going to be hard, he said. It's going to be hard for you to find a doctor right now. But as soon as the holidays are over, find a good oncologist. So that began my, my story with my battle with cancer. Um, we had a lot of tests done after the holidays, blood work, ultra, uh, ultrasounds, and biopsies, and everything returned negative. Everything, CA-125, everything was normal. So... Just the ultrasound looked not normal. It didn't look good. So the doctor invited me, you know, asked me to let her do a, a laparoscopy just to look to see what was going on. And so February 8 of 2008, uh, I went in for a laparoscopy, an exploratory laparoscopy. Um, I must have had, you know, a scared look in my face because I remember in the right before going into the OR, you know, she she had me sign the last documents and then she turned around and said, Circe, look at me. Ninety-eight percent, you don't have anything." I said, "Okay, I understand." She said, "No, I want you to understand this. Ninety-eight percent, you're okay. We're just going in to see what's going on." So I. 
went into surgery, I do remember, you know, I heard Pastor Bariso come and pray for me. I heard some voices on and off. I thought all this was going on in the recovery room. And sometime in like 2 in the morning, I started kind of waking up. I got to say, you know, we are all very, very delicate with the anesthesias. We like, they give us a little bit and we'd sleep for three days. It's, so I thought I was in the recovery room. And I remember several visitors coming and praying and, and all this happening in the recovery room. But it actually already was in the hospital room. As I started waking up finally, um, I, I, it was dark. I opened my eyes, started looking around, and I could see a wall and um, a large screen TV. And I was thinking, that's not how the recovery room was. The recovery room just had these drawstring curtains, you know, the no privacy almost. And, and I was like, you know, where am I? And then I remember looking and I saw a, a shadow of somebody sleeping there on the floor. And, you know, it was no doubt it was my sister, Dina. It had to be. So I called for her. It's like, Dina? And she popped up right away. You know, she was, you, what, do you need something? What hurts? You know, she's very caring, you know, care, wanting to take care of me. And I just looked at her and I said, where am I? And, you know, she came very close, put her cheek right here, <laughs> and told me in my ear, you have cancer. You're in the hospital. And, I, you know, they think I was so brave. I think it was still the anesthesia. But I just said, oh, and I fell back asleep. Oh, okay, I have cancer. Hmm. So they, when they tell their side, they're like, she was so brave. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, I went home after a long ordeal. There were a lot of things that went on, surgery, three surgeries, surgery, surgery, and then finally went home. Um, my doctor said, well, before I get to that, I'll say the next morning, my husband came to visit, and his eyes were red, and this, you know, he, I could tell he had been crying. And he leaned forward, gave me a little kiss, and said, I want you to know that I'm never taking my ring off until I see you in heaven again. And that was like, what? <laughs> what did he just say? You know, I, I was like, hmm, maybe there's more to this cancer than what Dina just told me, you know. So when I got a chance to talk to her alone again, I said, what stage am I in? So she said, you know, they the doctor says three or four. You're in ovarian cancer, stage three or four. And it's serious. She never lied to me. She was strong. <laughs> she, anyway, that's a different stories there. <laughs> and um, so we, you know, I went home. They, they left a, a, um, a special tube that they leave in the abdominal wall so they could do the lavage and the chemo could be through there because the doctor had said I was completely, the metastasis was everywhere. So she said I had cancer in the omentum, in the fluid that, that protects the intestines. Um, the left ovary was completely attached to uh, the colon and the, was doing metastasis there. Um, the right, you know, everything. She said everything looked nasty. So they were going to start these intraperitoneal uh, chemotherapy. Then, you know, I went ahead and went home. Um, that Sabbath, we had a beautiful anointing service. 
all the pastors from PV were there and their wives, all my family and Rod's family, and, and we sang and prayed. It was beautiful. But right before the pastor anointed me, he looked at me and said, what do you want me to pray for? And, you know, that was a really deep question. I was, you know, it, it, it makes me want to cry even now when I think about it. It was overwhelming. How, what do I ask for and why should I have the right to pray either way? And uh, I, I was stunned for a little bit. And then I, I do remember telling him, well, I want to live because we already knew it was serious. In fact, I think somewhere around in between there, my sister had told me that the doctor gave me about six months to live. So I said, I want to live. And, and he said, seriously, God created us for eternity. He created us to live eternally. This is a consequence of sin. This has nothing to do with God's will, because I said, if, as long as it's God's will. He said, God's will is for us to live. So he prayed, and he did pray for healing. He, he really didn't pray for healing. He actually thanked God for healing me. It was an amazing prayer. I still remember it. And I just felt like no option. You know, God, we bless Circe. We thank you for healing her. You know, and I was like, wow. Okay, and then when they were leaving, I walked out, and he looked at me and said, I'm in trouble with my wife. I do remember that. So I won't tell you what pastor that was. <laughs> he said, you know, my wife really thinks I shouldn't have given you so much hope, that I should have prayed for either way. God, it's in your hands. And, uh, and I told him, well, thank you, pastor. That was a, an amazing prayer, and I thank you for it. So he prayed for that. The next Thursday, we, my sister and I went to um, my appointment. The pathology reports were back. And when we walked in, the doctor said, I don't understand the results. I know what I saw. This is what your pathology says. I don't understand it, but I'm going to report it to you. The pathologist says, you don't have cancer. The pathologist says it's only limited to the left ovary, completely encapsulated, and everything else I sent is clean. So we were like, we even told her, well, God healed me. And she was not a believer, so she was very upset with that, and um, outright upset. And she said, you know, almost like baloney, I don't want to hear about that. I'm trying to save your life. So what I want you to allow me to do is treat you as a stage two. At least allow me to give you six treatments. So um, I told her I'd think about it, you know, and I prayed. And I would tell my sisters, my daughters, my husband, the family, I don't want to do chemo. I know what the long-term effects are, can be. I don't want to go through that. Uh, my brother just stepped out, but he, I have to say, was the only one that would say, don't do it. You've been healed. You don't want to go through that. And I, you know, but I, it's not as easy as I say it. You know, my daughters, they would cling to my legs and cry. Mommy, you have to fight this. And I would say, fight what? Fight what? God has healed me. No, Mommy, you have to fight for life. And, you know, they, they were devastated. 
God would cry, you got to give chemo a chance. And I'd say, a chance at what? I'm healed. I mean, I don't think God does half miracles, right? He had healed me. The pathology said it. So one day he did, God gave me peace. You know, one day I was praying and thinking about, well, God, what, what do I do? You know, I felt, I didn't hear his voice, but I felt him say, that's okay. You have to think about everybody around you. You have to think about, you know, you're not a single person. You're not alone. So think about those around you that love you. So I decided to accept those um, six treatments. You know, I could have played Samson. <laughs> Chris, I could have done Samson this morning. Um, yeah, I went through it all, you know, the six treatments. And um, I don't know if, I, if you noticed there, Mr. Gifford, that bottom picture. You know, that was one of the most touching moments when I got that picture because a couple of the teachers and some of the students had bald, you know, shaved their heads in consolidarity to me. Oh, I loved it. I remember crying, crying, looking at that. I'm like, God, that's amazing. And um, so thank you again, Mr. Gifford. <laughs> and my, my, a couple of my siblings shaved their head. I mean, we made a big thing out of it. We actually made kind of a party about, you know, shaving head day. Wee! <laughs> Everybody shaved their head. Um, my sister just kind of like clipped her head off. As she had, you know, beautiful longer hair she had, and she came out of the bathroom. It was a mess. It was worse than that wig. And I said, what happened? She says, I know mom won't let me, so now she has to. So she just, my brother. You know, so, but my brother used to tell us, my other, there's another brother, Isaac, there. Um, you girls cheated, though. You guys shave your head, and then you guys can wear wigs. And so that top picture, that's why he has my wig on. Like, that isn't fair. They're in here, I have to stay bald, and you guys have your wigs. So, so that was part one, okay, the story there. Um, the last treatment was given in July of 2008. And in November, La Mesa Church was having a beautiful Thanksgiving program. And our vice principal then, Ms. Julie Savino, invited me to come to their church and share my story. I had never shared it before. I had shared it on a one-on-one -on -one with her, with other people. And so she said, I would love for you to come and share your story. And, you know, and I got excited. I was excited because I really, to this day, you know, I, oh, yeah, you know, of course, you know, I, I lived, right? Hello. <laughs> this is 11 years ago. <laughs> so, you know, God did the miracle. Here I am, 11 years. And so I went to La Mesa to share the story. And they did have a very, you know, very musical and testimonies, and it was very pretty. A very, it was an evening program with candles. Everything was really nice. So I shared my story up to what I just finished, you know, 11 years. No, not 11 years. I mean, you know, here I am. God saved me. He cured me. And we were saying goodnight to people at the foyer, greeting everybody. They were coming up to thank me, and, and, and I saw one man almost with a march, you know, a very strong stride coming towards me. I saw the very determined look in his eyes. And I was almost thinking he's going to invite me to his church to speak. You know, he was like, he didn't want to miss me. So he came up to me, and 
he introduced himself, and he gave me his name, and he said he was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Now, I'm not going to tell you his name because you might know him. He's not working for the conference, but he now and then is around the area. I have seen him. I feel like tapping him on the shoulder sometimes, but <sighs> he came to me. He said, you know, I have a message for you. Don't leave. I want to talk to you. So, you know, of course, I'm ready. Are you guys ready for his message? This was his message. Shame on you. Shame on you for sharing that story. You should be ashamed of yourself. There are people right now listening to you that are fighting cancer. And what are their families going to say when God doesn't answer them? He really let me have it. I mean, straight. He didn't, you know, beat around the bush or be kind. He said things I remember him saying, do you think you're holier than others? How dare you get up and give a story like that? How dare you? You should have asked if there was anybody else in the audience. And I, 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 my legs started just weakening. I, want, I felt like I was going to faint. I was like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. Is, you know, what did I just do? It, it was a horrible feeling. But I have to tell you, it worked. Because I never again wanted to speak about that. Never. Every time, you know, and my husband does it a lot. When we're having dinner or lunch with people, he'll say, honey, share your story. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, you know, life went on with 10 years of silence. And my sister scolded me once. I told her once quickly, you know, she asked me once, like, uh, we're talking about testimonies and things. And I said, no, after that pastor told me that, I don't, I can't speak anymore. I can't. And she said, you shouldn't let others influence you like that, you know. And I think back, and I, maybe that was my beginning of the journey of recovery when she scolded me like that. And I thought, yeah, the Bible does say, you know, to the law and to the testimony. It doesn't matter what their title is. It doesn't matter who's saying it. If it's not according to what's written, it's not from the Lord. But, you know, at that time, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, he must know what he was talking about. So, part three, how did God help me um, be healed from that? Because it did. It, it, as extroverted as I am, it shut me up. <laughs> it shut me up for about my, for 10 years. And so, you know, it started maybe with that comment my sister threw out there. And she was pretty upset at me. She's like, I can't believe you let him do that to you. You know, and I was like. You know, I, I'm, I lived it. I know what it felt, so I don't want to get there anymore. And actually, it was about a year ago. It was August. I do remember that of, I don't know the exact date, so I'm not going to say it was a year today. But it was August of last year that I was studying the book of John. And I came up upon the story we're all familiar with, the story of Lazarus. And I was taking notes and studying early by myself, trying to learn something new. You know, all of you familiar with the story of Lazarus? We're going to look at it real quick now to show you how uh, quickly the Lord brought me through the healing process through the story so common and well-known of Lazarus. So uh, we're not going to read it. We're just going to comment a little on the verses as we go. Um, 
verses. Oh, I did want to say this. Sorry. You know, God has laws he, we have in place, natural laws, gravity, the law of thermodynamics, you know. These laws are what makes science work, and we all know them. We may not, you know, I, I admire my little grandson now as he's testing gravity. He'll start pushing, yeah, but you know, like he'll put a car at the end of a table, and he pushes it a little and says, it's going to fall, and it doesn't, and he looks at me, and it's going to fall, it's going to fall until it falls. It's going to fall, you know, so I'm like, yep, that's called gravity, hun. So... The laws are in place. And then, you know, we learn them. He may not know that's called gravity, but he knows it's in place. And this is, these are the natural laws, right? That they work because they're in place. But who created those laws is God. God put them in place. So there's something else called the supernatural laws. And a supernatural law is when you step out of that natural law. And it's what we call miracles. I like to say it's the supernatural. So we live in the natural. But when you give your life to the Lord, when you totally surrender and you just live now in the supernatural, now he has the power. He always has. But now you, you know, you're going to live this power to override those laws. He has the right to override. He created them. So he will override them. And, and that's where we have the miracles, okay? Um, the problem is that we limit ourselves. And I really believe that the more we study, the more we limit ourselves. You know, because I have a high IQ, because that doesn't fit with anything I have studied, because that's not the way the law works. That's not going to happen. And so we start limiting ourselves, therefore limiting God in our lives um, to what he can do for us. Verses 1, you know, through 3, we see with the scene starts with Lazarus being very, very ill. And if you recall, they were very good friends of Jesus. So they kind of want to, like, use that power of friendship, and they send people over and say, tell Jesus that the one he loves is sick. So he says, this is a good friend. Go, he'll come right away. That's what they expected. Verse 4 says that Jesus says, oh, oh yeah, his sickness is not unto death. Eh, tell them not to worry. He's not going to die is what sounded, right? And so, like a good friend would do, he delayed his coming, Right? I, I mean, I, I always think of my sister because she knows anybody's sick, and she's like, I'm on, I'm, I'll be right there, you know. And so here Jesus says, ah, it's okay. He's not going to die. So, so he, uh, verse 6 says he delayed another, another two days, did what he was doing there. And while he delayed, Lazarus dies. So here are the facts. You know, Jesus is late. Lazarus dies, and did Jesus lie because he said he would not die? So now he comes face to face with the two sisters, uh, his good friend Lazarus. 
And Martha, who's uh, more outspoken, you know, she just even actually, if you read it carefully, he's not even at um, their hometown yet. He, she goes, she hears he's coming, and she goes to meet him and say, where were you? Where were you when we needed you? We called you. You know, if you translate it to our modern-day English, we'd probably say, what are you doing here? Close the door. I don't need you anymore. I called you four days ago. Well, that's a long wait. Huh? How many of you have waited for a miracle for four days? That is actually a little wait. <laughs> Some people wait months. You know, Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? But, you know, her brother had died. So now she faces him with, <clears throat> now what? Then he comes in and the more, maybe the more humble, more quiet Mary falls to his feet, the Bible says. She actually falls to his feet, but she basically says the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So basically they have the same questions for him. Where were you? So like we have when things are going wrong. Where was God when my son got sick? Where was God when this? Where was where were you, Lord? So, um, on ver verse 34, sorry, you know, I, I, I have all these notes because I, I, in the morning, I just did it without the notes, but I, there's points I didn't want to miss, and, um, I got to tell you a secret, I typed it like in font 18, so I don't have to put my old lady glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> but this thing they gave me is really tiny. <laughs> so that's where, like, I'm, uh-oh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that tiny font. So I'm trying to go by pictures. So here. <laughs> Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. You know, he wept. He wept with their pain. He wept to see their unbelief. There's a lot of theories why he wept. But um, the ver the another verse that really shake shook me when I saw it and think about it is verse four, uh, 38 where he says he groaned in himself you know have you ever heard a person cry so hard that <laughs> you know you this is how Jesus wept he just didn't oh, Lazarus is dead you know verse 38 says he groaned he groaned it, it was very painful for him what was happening not so much Lazarus death but what was happening around him and he doesn't allow, though, his emotions to dictate what he's going to do. So he immediately on the next verse, verse 38, 39 says, he gives a command. Remove the stone. Now, here's what I want you to think about right here, because this is what we all do when God gives us a command. When he gives us something that we don't like, we don't want to do, or we don't understand, because my IQ is higher than that, then we start arguing with God with logic. I mean, with truths. They're not, they're not made up. We just don't argue dumb theories. We use our logic, human logic and knowledge. So, so Mary, you know, I mean, Martha, she's the outgoing one again. She starts, no, 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 wait, Lord. Wait, you don't want to do that. We don't want to remove that stone. My brother has been dead four days, and what happens after four days? A body smells. My body, my brother's body is, is going to release a stench if you remove that. 
you know. So did she, was she exaggerating? No, her logic was absolutely correct. Her facts were in place. Lazarus had died four days. He probably was already in the state of decomposition. I mean, he was. So there was going to be a stench. And I, you know, I, I want you to think about this. I leave this to you today. This is what we do. Because I went to college because I know better, because I know more, because I know what law is in place here, because the doctor knew what she saw. She kept telling us that, right? I know what I saw. Pathology has to be wrong. In fact, she wanted to do that second look, go in and try again, because she knew what she saw. We know more than God. We know. So Martha knew more than, than the Lord. This has been really important. I want to stop here a little bit because this has helped me. This point has helped me even forgive that pastor because I don't think that he meant wrong. I don't think he had, like, evil in his heart to shut me up. I don't think he was like I had it. The, uh, immediately I felt like oh, he's being used by the devil. I don't think so even now that that was true. I believe he was arguing with his human logic. He was using humanity in all of that. Um, smartness, IQ, whatever you want to call it. So here's a lesson. Um, Oh, I already said all that, sorry. <laughs> Nothing will stop the supernatural, the supernatural movement of God in our lives as our own logic. So, you know, we have to step out of this natural realm into our own logic. And when God says, this is what I want you to do, walk through that Red Sea. Go ahead and walk faithfully. Don't argue with, what well, we're all going to drown and they don't know how to swim and... You know, God gives some weird commands, and they make no logic. But we, sh we just need to walk faithfully, step out of the natural, and allow him to take us into the supernatural. And then the next verse right away after Martha's arguing with him, he says, didn't I say to you? I mean, it literally says that. When you have time, go home and read it again. It literally says, did I not just say to you, why are you arguing? Just do it. Didn't you hear me? And the second part of that verse says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see? So that is like totally upside down. Totally upside down. We want to see. Thomas said, show me. Let me touch. Let me see. We want to see in order to believe. That's not God's order of things. And he says, Jesus, out of his own words, you need to believe. And then you will see. Not see and then believe. So we say, but see what? I have to believe and then I will see See what? The glory of God on display. What we call miracles. If we don't believe, we're going to be stuck in the natural. 
And if we believe and move forward against any logic, anything that, you know, why, Lord? Why now? And I'm just waiting now because, like Trina said, he just called me back into the classroom. I'm going back to Calexico to teach. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why the desert? Why? And this principal that called me, I never knew him. And you know that bitmoji that goes like this? That's exactly what I did. Who is this? God calls, and we, I can't argue. I can't argue. I did put a lot of roadblocks. He, he was like, oh, yeah, ding, 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 ding. You know, you're on your way again. So we can't, you know, we just have to move forward, believe, so we can see the glory of God on display. Um, Matthews. Now did he not do many, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we can't sit back and say, why are other countries having so many miracles? I wonder why God's really working over there and not over here. You know, because even in Jesus' own time, there were great miracles. Yet in this one, he did not do many more because of their unbelief. A lot has to do with us, right? We won't see his glory until we believe and, and we obey. You know, and, God's, and God waits. He's not in any hurry, thank God. He's not in any hurry. He waits for us to mature. He's waiting, lovingly waiting, you know. So I come to church, and I will pray, and we bless him, we sing, we bless him, we sing. And then we start our long list, you know, Lord, I need a job, I need a car, I need this, I need this, I need this. And lo and behold, he answers. And then what do we do? We just walk away. You know, we don't share our story. We don't give any credit to God. That means in you know, basic lame uh, terms, we don't witness. We don't want to witness. You just, oh, yeah, in my mind, that happened, so I keep coming to church. You know, what that pastor asked me was true. You know, do I think I was holier than the next person? No. Does God bless, did God heal me because I was holier? No. God doesn't bless us for us. He doesn't bless it because I deserve it. He doesn't do miracles because we deserve it. He doesn't bless it, us because he needs to flex his power, his miracle powers. Oh, boom, I'll show you how strong I am. That's not how, how it works. He blesses us so that his glory may be on display. So that we can witness to others and they see the power of God. And the last verse here of the story of Lazarus says, then many believed in him. Many that heard the story of Lazarus, many that saw the miracle, but many that they went out to witness and they, were, they heard the story, many um, would believe. So like, you know, the title, I don't know if you noticed the title, I put what is it good for? That's what it's good for. It's not for me to walk around and say, oh, yeah, God, you know, I'm special. I had a lot of things to do for God still. There were a lot of things I hadn't done for him yet. That's not what he heals us for. That's not what his miracles are for. 
it's for us to have this story so that others can see his glory displayed. And I want to challenge you today to remember that. Um, when you have the opportunity, and, you, and we all have, even little ones, big ones, flat tire, who's going to help me, something happens. These things are the supernatural. You need to witness. God will tell you your story to witness. I have a, a rock somewhere here that I, in the little blue thing, see him. I have a rock that I wrote this verse on. Oh, yeah, I put that up there because I know everybody likes that. <laughs> in closing, <laughs> that's like part of the, you know, people wake up when you're, <laughs> oh, in closing? Oh, it's almost over. Okay, in closing. <laughs> this is the truth that has brought me back so that through the miracles, many will believe. And um, Luke 19.40, I tell you, that if these should keep quiet, and who are these? These, you guys, me, you, these that claim to believe should keep quiet, the rocks would immediately cry out. And I thought a lot about that. I don't know what the rock's voice sounds like, you know, but, you know, it would be a you know, scary moment to hear a rock take my place, which I don't ever want that to happen. So I praise God for this journey I went through, it was a long one. Look, things don't happen overnight. This is the 11th year after my healing. That's the second time I share my story. Took a long time to heal from what was when that pastor said. But now I know, you know, we cannot be quiet. He gave us a story. And thank you. And we don't want the rocks to take our place. I have a basket there full of rocks. I want you. I'm gonna, I also want to share a song with you. Um, and as she's singing, I want you to hear. Um, you know it, I'm sure. It's called Daystar. Um, we weren't able to put it up there, so I'm going to play it here. But as you listen to those words, I want to invite you to come and take a rock. And let this be your moment of recommitting your life to the Lord. To, I know that there's a lot of introverts in this world. I mean, in Rooted, everybody, I was waiting for my turn that every single one said, I'm an introvert, I'm an introvert, and I'm an, and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm the only extrovert here. <laughs> you know, but, and I told them that when it came to me, I was like, well, hi, <laughs> I'm your extrovert, okay? But so for those of you that are introverts, you know, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you have to stand up here. God will open the door for you to witness on a one-on-one, -on, -one, on a very quiet corner, you know, whatever it is you need. But you have to determine that the rocks will not take your place. Yeah. So, so I'm going to play this for you. I'm going to try and do it this way. You know, just come on up and... And uh, as you feel moved, and I, the rock is just a, it's just a reminder. It's just like the wedding band, you know, I don't have it on right now, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not married. The rock, even if it's not with you, it's not the one that's going to tell you to witness or when to witness. Just put it there like a paperweight at your desk or something. When you're studying your Bible, pray for God to use you, to remind you that 
that story is for his glory. That's what I put.